555,676, where Poe had lived until 1875, instead of dying in 1849 at the age of 40. And this version of Poe had written novels, six of them. Greed filled Wesley's heart, his mostly kind heart, as his eyes raced over the titles. One was called The House of Shame, or Degradation's Price. Wesley downloaded it. The charge for this one was only $4.95, and read until dawn. And he turned off the pink Kindle, put his head in his arms, and slept for two hours at the kitchen table. He also dreamed. No images, only words. Titles, endless lines of titles, many of them undiscovered masterpieces, as many titles as there were stars in the sky. He got through Tuesday and Wednesday somehow, but during his intro to American Lit class on Thursday, lack of sleep and overexcitement caught up with him, not to mention his increasingly tenuous hold on reality. Halfway through his Mississippi lecture, which he usually gave with a high degree of cogency about how Hemingway was downriver from Twain, and almost all of 20th century American fiction was downriver from Hemingway, he realized he was telling the class that Papa had never written a great story about dogs, but if he had lived, he surely would have. Something more nutritious than Marley and me, he said, and laughed with unnerving good cheer. He turned from the blackboard and saw 22 pairs of eyes looking at him with varying degrees of concern, perplexity, and amusement. He heard a whisper, low, but as clear as the beating of the old man's heart to the ears of Poe's mad narrator. Smithy's losing it. Smithy wasn't, but there could be no doubt that he was in danger of losing it. I refuse, he thought. I refuse, I refuse, and realized to his horror that he was actually muttering this under his breath. The Henderson kid, who sat in the first row, had heard it. Mr. Smith? A hesitation. Sir, are you all right? Yes, he said. No, a touch of the bug, maybe. Poe's gold bug, he thought, and barely restrained himself from bursting into wild cackles. Class dismissed. Go on, get out of here. And as they scrambled for the door, he had presence of mind enough to add, Raymond Carver next week, don't forget where I'm calling from. And thought, what else is there by Raymond Carver in the worlds of Ur? Is there one or a dozen or a thousand where he quit smoking, lived to be 70, and wrote another half a dozen books? He sat down at his desk, reached for his briefcase with the pink Kindle inside, then pulled his hand back. He reached again, stopped himself again, and moaned. It was like a drug or a sexual obsession. Thinking of that made him think of Alan Silverman, something he hadn't done since discovering the Kindle's hidden menus. For the first time since she'd walked out, Ellen had completely slipped his mind. Ironic, isn't it? Now I'm reading off the computer, Ellen, and I can't stop. I refuse to spend the rest of the day looking into that thing, he said, and I refuse to go mad. I refuse to look, and I refuse to go mad. To look or go mad. I refuse both. I... But the pink Kindle was in his hand. He had taken it out even as he had been denying its power over him. When had he done that? And did he really intend to sit here in this empty classroom mooning over it? Mr. Smith? The voice startled him so badly that he dropped the Kindle on his desk. He snatched it up at once and examined it, terrified it might be broken. But it was all right. Thank God. I didn't mean to startle you. It was the Henderson kid, 
standing in the doorway and looking concerned. This didn't surprise Wesley much. If I saw me right now, I'd probably be concerned too. Oh, you didn't startle me, Wesley said. This obvious lie struck him as funny, and he gave voice to a glassy giggle. He clapped his hand over his mouth to hold it in. What's wrong? The Henderson kid took a step inside. I think it's more than a virus. Man, you look awful. Did you get bad news or something? Wesley almost told him to mind his business, peddle his papers, put an egg in his shoe, and beat it. But then the terrified part of him that had been cowering in the farthest corner of his brain, insisting that the pink Kindle was a prank or the opening gambit of some elaborate con, decided to stop hiding and start acting. If you really refuse to go mad, you better do something about this, it said. So how about it? What's your first name, Mr. Henderson? It's entirely slipped my mind. The kid smiled, a pleasant smile, but the concern was still in his eyes. Robert, sir, Robbie. Well, Robbie, I'm Wes, and I want to show you something. Either you will see nothing, which means I'm deluded and very likely suffering a nervous breakdown, or you will see something that completely blows your mind, but not here. Come to my office, would you? Henderson tried to ask questions as they crossed the mediocre quad. Wesley shook them off, but he was glad Robbie Henderson had come back, and glad that the terrified part of his mind had taken the initiative and spoken up. He felt better about the Kindle, safer than he had since discovering the hidden menus. In a fantasy story, Robbie Henderson would see nothing, and the protagonist would decide he was going insane, or had already gone. Reality seemed to be different. His reality, at least. Wesley Smith's Ur. I actually want it to be a delusion, because if it is, and if with this young man's help I can recognize it as such, I'm sure I can avoid going mad, and I refuse to go mad. You're muttering, sir, Robbie said. Wes, I mean. Sorry. You're scaring me a little. I'm also scaring me a little. Don Allman was in the office wearing headphones, correcting papers, and singing about Jeremiah the bullfrog in a voice that went beyond the borders of merely bad and into the unexplored country of the execrable. He shut off his iPod when he saw Wesley. I thought you had class. Cancelled it. This is Robert Henderson, one of my American Lit students. Robbie, Henderson said, extending his hand. Hello, Robbie. I'm Don Allman, one of the Allman brothers. I play a mean tuba. Robbie laughed politely and shook Don Allman's hand. Until that moment, Wesley had planned on asking Don to leave, thinking one witness to his mental collapse would be enough. But maybe this was that rare case where the more really was the merrier. Need some privacy? Don asked. No, Wesley said. Stay. I want to show you guys something. And if you see nothing and I see something, I'll be delighted to check into Central State Psychiatric. He opened his briefcase. Whoa, Robbie exclaimed. A pink Kindle, sweet. I've never seen one of those before. Now I'm going to show you something else that you've never seen before, Wesley said. At least, I think I am. He plugged in the Kindle and turned it on. What convinced Don Allman was the collected works of William Shakespeare from Ur 17,000. 
After downloading it at Don's request, because in this particular ur, Shakespeare had died in 1620 instead of 1616, the three men discovered two new plays. One was titled Two Ladies of Hampshire, a comedy that seemed to have been written soon after Julius Caesar. The other was a tragedy called A Black Fellow in London, written in 1619. Wesley opened this one and then, with some reluctance, handed Don the Kindle. Don Ullman was ordinarily a ruddy-cheeked guy who smiled a lot, but as he paged through Acts 1 and 2 of A Black Fellow in London, he lost both his smile and his color. After 20 minutes, during which Wesley and Robbie sat watching him silently, he pushed the Kindle back to Wesley. He did it with the tips of his fingers, as if he really didn't want to touch it at all. So, Wesley asked, what's the verdict? It could be an imitation, Don said, but of course 